0: there is one Pali word which is at the core of the Buddha's teachings. And it's a word that's um, worth remembering and and reflecting on because it is at the core and that word is dukkha spelled D-U-K-K-H-A and I know some of you have heard this word many times and are familiar with it and for some of you it may be a new word And um, when the Buddha was asked what it is that he teaches, his reply was, I teach about Dukkha and the ending of Dukkha. And it's also important to remember that this is what the teachings are about. This is what the teachings are pointing at, Dukkha and the ending of Dukkha. So this word Dukkha, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, is most commonly translated as suffering, suffering. (coughs) <coughs> Excuse me. So the Buddha said, I teach about suffering and the ending of suffering. And sometimes people kind of get involved in the Buddha's teachings and they hear about suffering and they kind of get caught up in, oh, it's all about suffering. And they forget that he said, I teach about suffering and the ending of suffering. So it's important, important to remember that. So the word dukkha translated as suffering, suffering is... It's an okay translation, but it doesn't really capture the, uh, the breadth and the scale, the, the scope of the meaning of Dukkha. Um, some other translations of Dukkha, and, and, and I, don't, I don't find any one translation that, um, that really captures it, but when you put a whole bunch of the translations together, it gives a sense of, of what, what Dukkha is. So some of the translations are suffering, um, unsatisfactoriness, or dissatisfaction stress anxiety anguish um, existential crisis <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> so if we if we consider all these together we can see that there's there's a whole range of degrees of dukkha and 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 sometimes we're experiencing dukkha in a way that we clearly wouldn't identify it as suffering but if we see it as stress then maybe we could say yes there's dukkha and when we when we hear the buddha's definition of dukkha um i think it i think his definition um gives a a better sense than than any single word translation can and he um His his definition included a whole list of things, but in in the list, um, a part of the definition is dukkha is not getting what we want. Dukkha is getting what we don't want. Dukkha is being separated from or loss of what we love. and i think if we if we consider these these as as the definition of dukkha we can see that there are lots of events in our lives lots of times in our lives when we are experiencing dukkha but we clearly wouldn't call it suffering so basically if we take those three what it comes down to is wanting things to be different than they are wherever there's any degree of wanting something to be different than it is wanting things to be different than they are wanting to get what i don't have wanting to get rid of what i have and don't like not wanting to be separated from what i love what i like what pleases me all of this is is dukkha and the uh, the first the first step in the in the in the spiritual path the buddha the Buddha pointed out, is the acknowledgement of dukkha in our lives. If we want to end dukkha, first we have to recognize that there is dukkha present. And if there is no dukkha, then there's no need to get or get rid of anything. There's no need to do anything. We can just be. Wanting things to be different Shows one way it shows is in the inability to be at rest, the inability to feel to have a sense of being at peace with life, both inner and outer, and in a way these these three definitions of dukkha getting what i don 't want, not getting what I want, being separated from what I love um, are pointing to to something very, very, very critical in terms of coming to the ending of dukkha. And, and what that piece is that's very critical is that it's much more about our relationship to something than about the thing itself. the dukkha lies much more in the relationship to it in how we relate to it than in the thing itself we have a tendency when we when we recognize our dukkha when we recognize the presence of dukkha we have a great tendency to look out there for the cause of it and it's very easy to find things out there that we can blame that we can say that's the cause of it. He did this. She said that. They did this. Um, they did that. Um, the The weather wasn't good enough. Um, my cushion isn't good enough. Um, it's It's very easy to find things and and say that's that's the cause of dukkha. And yet, if we look, if we look, and it doesn't it doesn't take a lot of a lot of intelligence or a lot of Clear seeing, it doesn't take years of meditation to, um, to recognize and to understand that the same object sometimes can appear to be the cause of great suffering for us, and other times we can be completely indifferent to it, and other times we can be quite pleased with it. So, for example, um, a cloudy day like this, go out for a walk and it's all and and maybe a little bit drizzling and then the sun comes out and the sun just feels so wonderful. It's just fantastic. Oh, I just want to open up my shirt and just soak it in and enjoy it. And then... Um, Come along midsummer, actually it doesn't apply as much in England as in most other places. <laughs> Come along midsummer, the sun is out, full bright heat. and Oh, I want to get in the shade. It's just too hot. Although here in England you have a tendency to <laughs> go out at any time when the sun is out, don't you? <laughs> so the the, the the relationship to the sun changes. So it's not, we can see it's not about the sun. It's not the sun that's causing the the pleasure or the displeasure. We but we in in our in the contact in the contact we we kind of um impute a quality into the object. Uh, just one 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 example of this um <coughs> that I had um a few years had lots of examples. One that, that always stands out for me and some of you have heard this before um a number of years ago, I was in India, and I was sitting in a little tea shop and I ordered some samosas everybody everybody knows yeah, in England everyone knows what samosas are <laughs> 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 uh, and i ordered ordered some samosas and and the the shop was the the chai shop was being run by an indian woman and um and and she had the most beautiful Long black shiny hair. It looked like she had just um, she had just washed and oiled it, probably with coconut oil. It was just glistening black, and it was it was just beautiful. And I was sitting and admiring her hair, and just thinking how lovely her hair was. And um, and she brought the samosas, and bit into the samosa. <laughs> You've already guessed what was in the samosa. <laughs> and all of a sudden that hair was just not so beautiful <laughs> and yet the mind had attributed beauty to the hair and then the mind had attributed terrible things to the hair <laughs> projected all kinds of things on it <laughs> so when we when we when we have incidences like this and we and we and we see this the, the the change, how a relationship to the same object can change. It's a clue, it's a clue to this that it's not about the object. The dukkha doesn't lie in the object. It's in, it's in the relationship. In the in the meditation, in the meditation, we take an object and we give attention to the object and, and we, we, we speak of bringing mindfulness to the object, being present with it, being open to it, allowing it, being friendly with it, um, and, and all, all, these, all these ways that we have of, of trying, to, trying to describe the, the qualities of mindfulness, what mindfulness means. And the, the mindfulness is focused on the object. We're giving attention to the object. And we use, we use phrases like seeing it as it is, knowing it as it actually is. And, and what we mean by that is, is coming to know the object free of these overlays, these interpretations. Oh, how beautiful it is. How terrible it is you know, like with the hair. So laying aside, setting aside, setting aside the mind's interpretation of, oh, it's so beautiful. Or, oh, God, what's it going to do to me? <laughs> setting that aside and just seeing the hair just as hair as it actually is. And and the emphasis is very much on that. But really, if we remember the the teachings, as as the Buddha said, the teachings are not about the hair. They're not even about how the hair actually is. What the teachings are about is, is there dukkha in this relationship? And if there is, how can it be ended? How can I know that? And what is it it to know the ending of dukkha? And this is this is this is important to remember in, in the practice so that we can it can help us if we remember this, it helps us to to keep from getting caught up in the object and trying to understand the object. It's about the relationship. understanding the relationship and and we see we begin to see that the the dukkha is in the relationship when I want it to be different than it is whatever the it is it's that wanting that wanting that's the dukkha and the the ending of dukkha is in the the understanding and the ending of that wanting. the ending of the dukkha is in the opening to how it actually is not wanting or needing it to be any different than it is the wanting things to be different than they are are very much very much based on what is referred to as feeling the feeling quality and in the in the Buddha's language, in the in the way that the Buddha presented the teachings and presented feeling, feeling isn't um it's not the the emotional or psychological state. It's not the emotion, it's not the way that we usually use the word feelings in or you know, feeling in English language. What it refers to is very simply and it's very important to remember this or try to remember this and to really get this. It's, it's like learning a completely different language. And if we don't learn the different language, we can easily get confused. But learning the language that feeling very simply means either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And every object that we come in contact with, in that contact, there is a feeling of either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral whenever we contact something, whether it's through the eyes, through the ears, through the nose, through the tongue, through touching, or through thinking about. Either there's a pleasant feeling, there's an unpleasant feeling, or there's a neutral feeling. And, and based on the feelings, based on the pleasant feeling, what general, generally arises is, I like it. It's nice. I want it. And if I don't already have it, how can I get it? If it's an unpleasant feeling, if an unpleasant feeling arises, generally the the response is, I don't like it, I don't want it, how can I keep it away or how can I get rid of it? And if the response is neutral, generally what arises out of that is, don't care about it, forget it. There's nothing there to grab my attention. There's nothing to hold my attention. There's nothing of interest there. And so I just forget about it or ignore it or overlook it or turn my attention to something that's either pleasant or unpleasant. Because where there's pleasant and where there's unpleasant, ah, there, there's something to grab onto because there, there's something I can do with it. Something I need to do with it. Either get it or get rid of it. Much more interesting than being with neutral. And and what happens in, in, the arising, in the arising of the feeling is a tendency to project the feeling into the object. We project the feeling into the object, and the object becomes the source of the feeling. And so, if a pleasant feeling arises in response to something, next time I see it, I think that the feeling is from it. And so, I want it. I want to get it. I want to keep it. If the feeling is unpleasant, then I associate the the the, the, the unpleasant feeling with the object, and I think, oh, if I can just get rid of it, then everything will be fine. And we see these in the meditation. We see it very clearly sometimes. We're, we're just sitting, and, and, and suddenly, maybe even just for a moment, the mind gets quiet, a pleasant feeling arises, and the feeling gets associated with the mind, with that quiet mind. And then it passes, and then it's, oh, if I could only get it back. If I could just get that back, then it would be great. Then I'd really be able to meditate. Then I'd be in nirvana, be enlightened. Sometimes it does come back. (laughs) Nice, peaceful, quiet mind. Nice, stable, steady, quiet, still body. Just sitting very peaceful, very quiet. Pleasant feeling arises just being with it just being with it pleasant 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 and then somehow what happens is the feeling changes from pleasant to more neutral it's like the the pleasantness becomes familiar and the mind starts looking for something else and in that moment what was pleasant has actually become unpleasant it's undesirable and I start looking for something else. Anything. Where's that pain in the knee? Oh, it's going to come anytime now. I just know it. <laughs> you know, and the mind looks for something to grab onto. And so what started out as pleasant has become neutral and then has become unpleasant. The feeling is it's in the relationship it's in the relationship it's not it's not in the thing itself and so to 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 end to end dukkha what's required is a transformation not in the thing but in the relationship a transformation in the relationship is what's required and yet we give so much emphasis on being mindful of the thing knowing it as it is Seeing it as it actually is, opening to it just as it is, so much emphasis put on the object, and there's a reason for that there's a reason for that and 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 ultimately, the reason has nothing to do with the object <laughs> it doesn't it ultimately it doesn't matter what the object is, it doesn't matter what the the condition of the object is it's the relationship that matters but the object affects the relationship and the understanding of the object <coughs> as it actually is affects the relationship so a very simple example of that when we understand that, um, that the burner on the stove when it's red red means hot When we understand that, it affects our relationship to it. It affects how we are with it. When we understand, when we don't know that, we see red. Oh, that's a pretty color. When we understand, oh, red means hot, then we don't touch it. It transforms our relationship in a way that it brings the dukkha to an end. and the 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 meditation the giving giving attention to to an object works like that too. We give attention to an object, and so we take a very simple object, breathing, breathing sensation in the belly and 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 i I, I must admit that there is um, there is a degree of of um, sometimes to a very large extent a very large degree of neutrality in the experience of breathing in the belly. It's not a very thrilling thing most of the time. And yet, as I mentioned the other night, the breathing is such a miraculous thing. And when we really reflect on it, perhaps we can bring up some interest in in paying attention. And so even, even when it's really subtle, or when we can barely feel it at all, or even when we can't feel it at all. We can still bring attention to it. We can still take interest in it. Whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, to still be able to take interest and to to have that sense of investigation. This investigation quality in, in the teachings is actually phrased investigation of states. It's not so much an investigation of the thing to try and figure it out. It's an investigation of what's the state of the thing? What's the condition of the thing? It's an investigation of how is it actually? And when we start, when we start to pay attention, when we start to give attention to the thing and to really open to it and really allow it to be, to give some space for it, just to be and just to pay attention and take that interest in it, we see that things change in the same way that we can see the, 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 the feeling changed from pleasant to neutral to unpleasant. Same me watching it, same object, but the feeling changes. We, so we can see how the feeling changes. We can see how... The, the breathing, the, the breathing is interesting. We we think, we, we, we give attention to the breathing, and at first it seems, you know, there's nothing really happening. It's just one breath after another, after another, after another. Sometimes it maybe it comes a little faster, a little slower, maybe sometimes a little, you know, a little deeper, a little more shallow. Sometimes, um, sometimes I feel like I'm not getting enough and I take a gasp. But overall it's just one breath after another and there's, nothing really interesting there. But if we, if we start to connect with it and give attention to it and, and connect with the, the, the more subtleties of the breathing, we see that in fact it's constantly changing from moment to moment. And we can feel it in the belly. We can start to feel it in the belly. We feel the belly is moving. Movement is change. Movement is change. As the breath comes in, the belly is expanding. And we can feel that movement. And if, we, if you can't feel it, um, if, you, if you don't have a sense of that and you're not feeling the breath, the breath, the breathing in the belly, try sometime. just try putting your hands on your belly. Just gently place your hands on your belly. Or after you're doing the qigong, maybe even hold your hands not quite on the belly, just close to the belly. And then just breathe and see if you can feel. And just see if you can feel the movement. And that movement is change. As the belly is expanding, the breathing is coming in and it's going through a process of changing. And as the breathing goes out, as the breath goes out, the belly is settling. There's a process of change happening. One minute it's this big, the next minute it's this big, and then it's this big, and then this big, and then all of a sudden it's getting a little bit smaller, a little bit smaller again, smaller again, smaller again. It's changing. The change is happening moment to moment to moment to moment. And we can look at any object. We can, we can give attention to absolutely any object. And we can recognize that it's changing The change may be relatively quick, as in the breathing. It's a a relatively quick change. It's going literally from moment to moment to moment, expanding, contracting, expanding, contracting. The change may be very slow. Um, You know, I can look at this microphone and I can say, (laughs) I could look at it all day today and I could say, it hasn't changed. Not that I can see, but if I were to be looking at it through a microscope, there's a good chance I'd be able to see change. If I come back next year and look at it, I'll bet there'll be change. It might have changed so much, it might be a completely different microphone (laughs) as it is compared to last year. (laughs) So over over a period of time we can see change. We can see things things that look so solid and so permanent. We see them change. My my favorite example is Mount Everest, <laughs> which looks so solid. It seems to be so solid and so permanent and so stable and just, you know, it's just it's just there. And and yet they do measurements of it every year and every year it's a different height. You know, it's been getting higher and higher. Last year, for the first time, it actually shrank a little bit. But generally, it's getting taller and taller as the plates move together. You know, the whole Indian continent is a plate that's changing. It's moving. And as it moves, it's crashing into the, the North Asian continent and pushing the mountain up. There's movement there. There's change there. The whole planet is changing. Certainly we see it in change in climate, changes in the environment. All these changes happening around us and yet sometimes the changes are so slow and so subtle that we have this sense of nothing is changing. But everything is changing from moment to moment to moment. And... The, 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 so so we, we give attention to an object with this investigation of states. And in the investigation of states, we start to see this, this fact of change, this fact of impermanence. Things are impermanent. Things are changing from moment to moment to moment. And why is that important? Why is it important to give attention to see this, to know this, to to really deeply know it. It's important because it affects our relationship. The more deeply we know that it's changing, the more deeply we know that it's pointless to try to hold on to it and keep it because I like it. the more deeply I, I really know and really understand the impermanence of something, the more deeply I know that trying to keep it, trying to hold on to it, trying to keep it from changing is dukkha. Wanting it to be different than it is. Wanting something to be permanent when it's impermanent. The fact of it is that it's impermanent. I want it to be permanent. This is dukkha. And the more, the more deeply I understand that, really understand it, and understand it not through the mind, not through the mind figuring it out, but through real direct experiential insight. Let go of that one and that and that letting go that letting go letting go isn't something i do it's not something to do or something that i can do it's just what happens from the realization of the dukkha in fact the letting go is a not doing the holding on is the doing it's like with the, the red-hot element on the, on the stove. The touching it is the doing. Not touching it is not doing. When I know that the consequence is dukkha, I don't do. That's the letting go. And it doesn't mean that the stove goes away. It doesn't mean that it gets cooler. It doesn't mean it gets, changes color. I just don't do anything with it. That's the letting go. So be watchful when you you hear this this term letting go and when you think, oh, if I just let go of it. Just to to check in and see, when I I say letting go, am I actually meaning getting rid of? (laughs) Because if you are, that's dukkha. If by letting go you're actually wanting to get rid of, that's dukkha. To let go is to not do. So this this understanding, this recognition, this understanding, this deep knowing of impermanence, when I know that, just, ah, don't go there. Just, ah. This is the end of dukkha. When I look, when I give attention to an object, give attention to an object in the, in the meditation, and um, we can take any, you can take any object, but we can, can, take, um, can take, let's see, what can we take? Let's take, let's take a, a pain in the back. Okay, there's a pain in the back. I start to give attention to the pain in the back, and I really don't like it. It's really unpleasant. It's an, it's an unpleasant sensation that, as I said this morning, it's, it's gone to the point where it's not an unpleasant sensation. It's a pain. And, and it's keeping me from meditating. I can't meditate. It's just too painful. I have to get rid of it. If I could just get rid of it, if it would just go away, if it would just get better then I could start to meditate. If I could just find just the right position to sit in, just the right cushion, just the right temperature of the room, just the right anything, then I could start to meditate. It would be okay. But the reality is, it's not like that. The reality is, there's this unpleasant sensation, and because the mind is creating all these stories around it, and thinking that it has to get, be, it has to be gotten rid of before I can meditate. This is dukkha, wanting things to be different than they are. If I if I can if I can somehow set some of that aside and take this interest in investigating state. I can see, and and probably, I'd guess that some of you have experienced this maybe today, certainly at other times, possibly today, have had the experience of kind of opening to an unpleasant sensation or a pain in the body and opening to it in a way that it actually changes. So how many have had that experience? Maybe even goes away. Not because you tried to make it go away, but just in the act of bringing attention to it with spaciousness it actually what happens is it actually gives it room to have its life and pass away and yet all the time we tried to get rid of it tried to resist it it seemed to just get worse and worse and worse and then we're open to it and it's ah oh, it's no problem Sometimes it doesn't go away, sometimes the, the pain is still there, but again it, it's just not a problem because the mind isn't caught up in wanting it to be different. The dukkha is in that wanting, and so we can see we can see in that we can see the impermanence of pain. But as we give attention, as we give attention, we can also see another characteristic of that pain which is a characteristic of all things and that is that it exists in a particular way because of certain conditions it's conditional it doesn't it doesn't exist it doesn't have its own private individual independent existence it's not a thing that's in there just waiting to get me It arises under certain conditions. And we can see that when conditions change, so the condition changes from struggling with it to being spacious with it, a condition changes and it changes. We see the conditionality of it. And, and when, we, when we start to look at different things and start to see the conditionality of, of different things and start to see all the conditions that go into something, into anything. So, so this microphone, you know, I've, I've been looking at this microphone and I don't see it change yet. But, um, but I see that actually it's not just one single thing. There's a piece of wire here. There's a piece of plastic here. There's a couple of different separate bits of metal here that are somehow stuck together. There's another bit of plastic here. Or maybe it's metal. Not sure about that one. And then there's some other bits of metal and plastic here that are different shapes, different sizes, different textures. And and I I'm... I'm I can't see it, but I'm projecting that inside there's a bunch of wires and maybe a battery. and There's all these different bits. And all these bits put together make what I call a microphone. And if I take away any of those bits, it's probably not going to work. I just have to take away one bit, and it's probably not going to work. At that point, can I still call it a microphone? <laughs> Our tendency is it looks like a microphone but is it really a microphone if it doesn't function as a microphone or is it just a bunch of bits of stuff put together So the microphone is these all these bits put together but it's more than that it's also the person who put them together That's a condition for it it's also the the people who made all the bits And the materials that were all put together for that person to make the bits. And and the factory where it was done. And the water that the person drank. And the food that the person ate. All these are conditions for the existence of this microphone. And these are all conditions from the past. And then there's conditions in the present. The condition of having a meditation hall. If the meditation hall weren't here, the microphone wouldn't be here. The microphone only exists because of all these conditions in relationship to all these conditions. And we start to look at different objects and we see that any object we can look at, any object we can hear, any object we can touch, taste, um, smell, think about, exists because of conditions. And the more, the more when, we, when we see these at the most subtle levels, we start to see how everything is interconnected. Nothing is separate. Nothing exists separately. We can look at ourselves and we see that we exist in relationship. The way I am in any given moment is dependent on certain conditions existing the way they are in that moment and each of those conditions exists the way it is because of other conditions it's all it's all interconnected nothing exists separately and and to and to 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 to, to really get that to really know that to really know that is is to know that i don't need to hold on to anything it's all right here i don't need to hold on to anything and to know that is to just ha ah, the ending of dukkha it also means i don't need to struggle to get anything Anything I need can be can be it's hard to hard to phrase it. Anything I need can be gotten without dukkha, without struggle. Dukkha is not necessary. Certainly effort is necessary at times. Certainly there's a need for effort. But not for dukkha. The 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 absence of dukkha is in the absence of dukkha is in the being okay with how it is. And being okay with how something is, whether it's a thing, whether it's a situation, whether it's myself, being okay with how it is doesn't mean kind of um, accepting that's how it's always going to be. It's not projecting into the future. It's just right now. This is how it is. And by by opening to how it is, then I can act, I can make effort coming from a place of of understanding, a place of wisdom, a place of skillfulness. Not from a place of needing to get, needing to get rid of. And in that effort, there's no dukkha. so looking at looking at things paying attention to things investigating the state of things seeing the impermanence seeing the conditionality the interconnectedness the non-separateness and seeing and seeing also knowing also the unsatisfactoriness of things because they're impermanent inconditional and, and therefore unreliable things outside of ourselves can't be depended on for any kind of lasting peace or happiness or bliss or nirvana or whatever you want to call it because they're going to change and because they're dependent on other things on other conditions and so that leaves me needing to look in the relationship. And the other piece of the equation is looking here, looking within. This me who's in relationship, this me who's in the relationship, this me who's feeling the dukkha, this me who wants to know the end of dukkha. And I start to look at myself. And in a sense, in the practice, when we're, when we're giving attention to the body, We're beginning to give attention to ourselves. We're paying attention to ourselves. When I ask, who am I, or what am I? I'm a body and a mind. So if I want to explore myself, if I want to look at, investigate the state of myself, what do I look at? I look at the body and the mind. And so the mindfulness of body is really a mindfulness of it's not a it's we we take the body as a separate object. It's really bizarre how we we split ourselves up. I'm looking at my body, but it's, it's me looking at my body. Are there two me's? <laughs> Separate myself out. There's me who's looking and there's me who's being looked at. So which one is the real me? <laughs> it's very very peculiar. But I, I, give, I give attention. So in giving attention to the body, I'm giving attention to what it is that I identify with as me. So I start to look at me, and as I start to look, I see, "Oh, I'm changing." I start to see, "Oh." things about me arising and passing, dependent on conditions. I'm existing in relationship. How I am in any moment is determined by and dependent on lots of different conditions existing in that moment and conditions from the past. Memories, ideas, beliefs, things that I carry with me from the past. What is there to hold on to? Where is this me? Where is this me that seems to be so solid and seems to have some kind of a continuity, seems to have a permanence? I feel permanent. I feel continuous, and yet I—I I look in the mirror and I see that no, no I think I'm changing. <laughs> I look at my mind. And I, no, definitely changing. <laughs> and yet there's somehow there's a, somehow events, events that are arising and passing, arising and passing, events of. Of me, from moment to moment, somehow get strung together, and give a sense of continuity, of permanence, and that's what I hold on to. And to and to to look closely, to really see the the impermanence and the and the the Brad Brad spoke about the uh, this morning spoke about, or last night spoke about the. The, uh, all the space within the me, and the and the and the, the how how little substance there actually is. You know what is it that's being held onto as me? And and to be able to recognize this in a way that there's just just a, a releasing, a releasing of this 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 sense this this image of who I am, and that's all it is. It's just an image releasing this image and the and the and the freedom that comes with that the freedom to just be to not have to be an image but to just be from moment to moment to moment real liberation and in the in the liberation in the in the knowing of impermanence and the knowing of the 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 non-separateness the the interconnectedness you know knowing how how each one of us are connected we're all here we're all who we are in this moment because of everyone else here to know this to to and to to be able to set aside this this image of me and this this perception of Of us as being separate beings and having our own separate lives and our own separate existence, to be able to see that in a way that it's just released, and the and the boundaries, the kind of boundaries, kind of fade. It 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 reveals our our connection in a way that we know, we know that we're not separate and we know that when I'm suffering, others are suffering. To end, to end suffering requires the ending of my own suffering and it requires the ending of other suffering because suffering is suffering it's not mine it's not yours and to be able to see this and just just to let go and then what happens what what happens is the 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 in the in the knowing of that that non-separateness in the in the knowing of that interconnectedness what what begins to what begins to flow is rather than needing to get something or needing to get rid of something what flows is the connection and what flows in the connection is the metta the friendship the kindness and the compassion the kindness and the compassion are the the manifestations the manifestations of the ending of dukkha, the manifestations of the liberation of mind and heart. And it comes not from an object. It doesn't come from understanding a microphone. It comes from the transformation, which is supported by the understanding. And so the so, so very important to remember that it's not really about the object. The object, the object, when we're giving attention to an object, whether it's the body, the breathing, whether it's the body scan, whether it's the, the movement of the arms, whether it's the, the energy patterns that are showing, um, whatever, whatever it is, the question is what's my relationship to it? Is there dukkha here? And what will end the dukkha? And what matters is to know that ending. So let's sit quietly together for a few minutes. Thank you for listening.